If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the Just Not Sports Podcast. This is the show where if you guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, Just Not Sports. On today's show, while everyone in the world is talking about Super Bowl LI, we will talk to Matt Sussman, baseball prospectus writer on his love of curling and NBC's recently launched Friday night's Curling Night in America. We'll also get into woke NBA, maybe some NBA social media, and most importantly, we will welcome back long-lost former host of the show, who will soon be unseating me, Gareth Hughes, from this duty. Uh, (laughs) Yes, so it's Gareth tonight, and I would like to welcome in from Chicago, Joe Reed. Hey, Gareth, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. And back from hiatus, Mr. Brad Burke. Brad Burke, how are you? Boys, I'm good. Welcome back to me, I suppose. <laughs> I said welcome back, and I realized I, I, I was not saying. Welcome back into my life from yeah, my living room. Yeah, we're here. So, Brad, it's probably been about two months, almost exactly. Where you been? What's been up? Has this been an extended vacation? Uh, if so, it's been the worst vacation ever, uh, <laughs> as there's no rest and, uh, and the only drinking that I do make just makes me feel worse as a, as a father and husband. Uh, I had a baby, our second child, little girl named Violet. Fantastic. Um, but I took some time. I have a very progressive company that Joe and I work for and, uh, they gave me like paternity leave, which was amazing. And I highly recommend it, and I wish every company would would do that. And so I've been home, tending to the fam. I've been in, listening to a heroic amount of media during my nightly feedings and changings, and I have listened to the show. I've been enjoying it uh, from the other end of the spectrum. So good job, gang. You're sure to have some good distractions then when we get to that part, right? Well, Joe and I taped in my office the other day that's going to probably run up in a few days. We taped the show, and I, I did talk about... <laughs> I did talk about a certain podcast theme that I listened to about 240 hours of that Joe, even Joe was kind of like, what are you doing? So stay what tuned is for going that. on? It's perso- yeah, it's fascinating. What you guys will hear it uh, likely next week. <laughs> but, but that means I have to wait a week. Hey man. That's yeah. Life. I mean, I, you could, you could just grab the files from Joe. Just, just, uh, <laughs> just, uh, just WikiLeaks that computer, man. And just nah, you know, maybe- put them up. Come on, man. No spoilers. No spoilers. We are no spoiler culture here on Just Not Sports. Um, so that's where Brad has been. Congratulations to you and your family and Charlie and Violet, your beautiful children. Um, Joe Reed, any news to report from the other part of the Chicago Bureau? Chicago uh, Lakeview neighborhood is treating me great. I'm at home. I had dinner tonight. Things are good. My fiance is wait, traveling for Joe work. Joe actually mentioned this. This is this bears mentioning. Joe is home alone tonight. His fiance has left him home alone, and Joe made a real meal. Can yeah, you tell man. us about this? I mean, if if listeners uh, were around a week or two ago, you heard about how much I love Aldi. 
I shopped there. It was a life-changing experience. I've gone back several times. Um, hey, Joe, real quick. That's also recipes. next week's episode. <laughs> oh, is it? I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, uh, you got, yeah, it's, I think Alina and I do a good job of finding those simple recipes that you can, like, with a few little tweaks here or there, you can make them different. Um, you can make them last, you know, multiple meals. It can be lunches. It can be leftovers. Um, so I did a little buffalo ch- stuffed buffalo chicken breast, um, and then had some broccoli and uh, mashed potatoes on the side, and it was great. Yeah, it. I'm a 20, I, it, it, I'm a it, it makes me laugh. Knows how to cook chicken. Well, no, no, no. But what makes me laugh about that most is you probably made a lot of dishes and things like that. And what I think about is that when Brad was describing living in Peoria while dating his now wife and the mother of his two daughters, yeah. and she was talking to him about what he ate for dinner one night, and he, he said, and I've never forgotten this, he's like, babe, I am perfectly fine eating nachos microwaved for dinner. <laughs> so, I do really when good, I am I do really alone. good beef nachos on lime Tostitos, bro. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, Joe, I was impressed that you made a dish. So now we're, well we're done. Not, I'm not, you know, I'm not batting a thousand. It's funny you mentioned that because I had uh, broiler in the oven nachos last night. So I'm, I'm right there with you, Brad. Well, excellent. So we, since our last taping, we're now living in Donald Trump's America, the 45th president of the United States. And as I grind the gears going from Buffalo chicken to the current state of politics that oppresses <laughs> all of our lives... Um, one of the things we were talking about today when we talked about what we want to talk about the show was just the level of social activism that is running through the NBA right now. In particular, if this, if this week's show had a hammer, our hammer is going out to Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors who had the following to say about Donald Trump's ban on Muslims and immigrants. Take a listen. Any words on any comment on the travel ban in the United States? Um, I think it's bullshit. I think it's absolute bullshit. I mean, our country is the, the, the country of the, the home of land, home of the free. And for that to happen, I think it's bullshit. I mean, I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but personally, I think it's bullshit. Any chance you want to try it again? That's no, not at all. Y'all gotta bleep that out. That's how I feel about it. If you use it, you use it. Yeah, I'm sure you can bleep it out. So that's what Kyle Lowry had to say. He said multiple times that this was BS. And when a reporter, as you heard, offered him the out to not say it that way, he said no. He said, <laughs> no, nah, I'm cool. Um, he joins a group of NBA basically members and activists such as Sam Van Gundy, Greg Popovich numerous times, Steve Kerr numerous times, who have spoken out about the current state of politics in this country. So I guess Joe, well, Joe, we were texting about this, Brad, you had some ideas and thoughts. What are your thoughts on this and why is the NBA the lead, the league that is leading this movement? Joe. Oh God. I, um, that's a good question. I feel like we've talked about this in the past, um, about like why the NBA, like why aren't baseball players talking more about like political or social issues or, um, I, I honestly don't know what the reason is, but I, I think it's a good trend to see. And I feel like, 
particularly since the election, there has just been this like outward pouring this, this I've felt it. I don't know about you guys, like even on social media, um, you know, for better or worse, Trump is like 80% of the content on my Facebook feed, um, from people like writing how they feel about him. Um, and so I think it's, it's only fitting that, um, that athletes who are high profile, um, get involved. I mean, the NBA is an, is an international sport. Um, you know, not only Toronto, but like they, they travel around the world. There are players from around the world. Um, it just seems fitting that, that they would have something to say. I don't know. Brad, what do you think? Not to sound like a hot take or against our own thesis, but I'm not sure the league is speaking out more than other leagues. I mean, we saw Michael Bradley from the U.S. soccer teams come forward. We've seen a ton of uh, women in sports come forward on this. I do think that the NBA is like in full stride in the season in terms of media coverage and, and sort of the dominance of media coverage because half the NFL teams just or more than half the NFL teams just disappeared after the new year, before the inauguration, and baseball's out of season. And so that's not to disparage the the topic. I just want to put that out there that there are probably a lot of people who follow other athletes that we don't follow and might say, oh, hey, these people have been speaking out too. You're just paying attention to what's on the websites and the TV that you follow because that's where the media is gathering day in, day out, and they have nothing else to cover because so many other sports are dark right now. Whether now whether this activism will continue when you know things settle down, if they settle down, which I expect they will at some point, you know, outside the first hundred days when other sports get into season, I don't know. Um, and it, there's no doubt that many NBA players have come forward. Uh, the one question I'll put it to you guys is like, I mean, it wasn't like President Trump wasn't talking about this when he was candidate Trump. So I don't want to sound cynical. I mean, I'm happy that anyone is speaking their political views, whether I agree with them or not. But I don't, I just wonder, like, where was this level of discussion when these were the things he was promising to do for months on Morning Joe through Hannity on TV every day during his candidacy for like a year and a half? Yeah, well, but I I think you saw LeBron James uh, campaigning, and I mean that's an isolated incident. Oh, sure, it some was, people did, but like I was know. wondering, like you know, Greg Popovich was seen wearing a "Vote for Pedro" shirt on Election Day, and then like a day later, he was talking about how we're Rome and how the country's burning. Now, unless he was saying that the day before, it's kind of like I thought he was just saying, "Don't take it seriously." You know what I mean? Like vote Pedro. Like I, it was a very, I do, I do feel like there was a very sharp turn that makes me think. A lot of athletes, like a lot of the rest of the country, did not take these claims seriously as potential policy. And that's what I really wonder is, are people on both ends of the political spectrum going to speak their mind more in advance moving forward? Or are we just going to live in a completely reactionary society where people just kind of are asked questions and answer it and don't don't step forward, except for the most passionate people like LeBron or Natalie Gulbis or people who are out there actively campaigning? All right. I, first of all, I have to say something that that when I posited this topic, especially for a show that tapes weekly, I was I, 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 Phil Sims would have described that as me being a little bit a prisoner of the moment, as he would like to say. 
we're getting caught up in all the hot taken and things like that. So, Brad, I give you a lot of credit for dragging us out of the mire that I created and making well, no, this a more you, substantive. You, you didn't not, create no, no, no. a swamp. I, I think there's a good point. I just wonder. I do think the media has been talking NBA because, I, and I, I didn't think about it till we were talking about discussing this. Like, I just haven't thought about another sport in two weeks. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right, I mean, right, hockey's right, going right. on, but. Also, look, that that's also a pretty good point. Like hockey has a much different demographic, too. And so when you're talking about a league that's predominantly right. African-American, you know, potentially they might see a lot more um, a lot more to be bothered by by some of the current policies. And that's that's a no brainer. You know what I mean? In terms of a, a, a take on what's happening. But uh, I think you're look, I think that when I like that you brought it back to Election Day, though, is one thing I want to get to. And that is, look. I think Greg Popovich had these thoughts before Election Day. I think Steve Kerr had these thoughts before Election Day. I do think there was probably, number one, a feeling that they weren't going to be relevant on November 10th and that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected and we'd all move on. And so you didn't have to take as much of a stand. So and whether that's I mean, look, if you're the Spurs, you're just glad you don't have the Democratic Party's data analysts as your data analysts, if that's what you're going for. Um, but I think it's a fair point. And I think that it, um, I think rather than thinking and not taking Donald Trump seriously on all these claims, I think there was a feeling that just, he wasn't going to win. And so that's why it wasn't going to be as big a deal. That's my take on it, Joe. I feel I would probably agree with that. I feel like it's um, until it happens, it seems like it's sort of it's candidate. It's the difference between candidate Trump and President Trump. Um, and Brad, my comment earlier, I did not mean to to say that. I think you're right that the NBA is obviously the most vocal about it right now because it is the, the sporting season. I think I was. I feel like we've talked before about how it seems like NBA players are the most. Um, uh, 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 I would I don't know I, I would use the phrase like socially or like politically active it seems like they have sort of the most um, outward publicly facing personas I feel like they're often the of of professional athletes I feel like if, if someone's chiming in on politics or um, or various issues it's gonna like it's likely to be an NBA player that was my point um, yeah, I think and that's a fair that's point not, I, I, don't know. I don't have anything that would dispute that I also just think when NBA players speak up, they're such distinct personalities because you see the most of them in their sport. I mean, they're they're literally right, almost right. naked performing. You're right. They're not wearing your, helmets. They're not wearing pads. 100%. Right. They play a lot of games like that. They're not unlike like Olympians. They don't just show up every four years. I mean, you have other sports that are sort of, you know, solo, solo endeavors. But like when it comes to the four major professional Guys, sports or the Matt Ryan sports, is about to play. Matt Ryan's about to play in the Super Bowl. How many Americans could pick him out walking down the street in their neighborhood? <laughs> right. And I also do think that at, that I also think the NBA players have proven to be socially savvy because the league allows them to. Whereas in the NFL, I've I've seen a lot of NFL players talking about this, but I just also feel like um, there's just so many more players per team that you know if you're a fan of the Vikings, you may not notice you know, player X talking about it or, um, or player Y, because you may not follow all the players on that 53 man roster, but on NBA team, if you're a fan of the Cavs, 
you're going to follow LeBron, but you're also going to follow J.R. Smith or Iman Shumpert or whoever is yeah. on the on the roster. I also think the difference be- between uh, Brad. I think your point is well taken, but I also wonder. Like I get the I get the questioning of like where was everybody when he was saying that he wanted a Muslim ban, you know, eight months ago. Um, I think there were people that were frustrated. I think there were people that spoke out against it. I also think the people that are marching on Washington the day after the election are likely not people who voted for him. Um, or, or, you know, are the people protesting at airports are, are likely not the, the base that he was, he was targeting when he was making these claims and, and making these demands, um, and, and laying out his policy. So well, let me, let me say this about, to me, it's about, sort, to me, it's sort of like, does it even matter? Like, does it even matter? doesn't matter if we were there then or not. It's like, we're here now and it's reality. Um, does that change like the public's, um, their intentions or sort of their, their, what drives them. It's like, well, where, where the hell were you guys when he was saying it? But now that he's doing it, you're speaking out. It's like, I, it's better than nothing. Right. Well, I think I, number one, I think, I will say, I will say this. It all, like there are a lot of people in this country that have a diametrically opposed view to the view we're talking about, and they are like, we're fine with these policies. So I don't want to make it seem like, um, you know, I, it, it, I don't know. It's tricky to talk about. Like there are a lot of people who agree with what President Trump's doing, and I I do think they're probably talking about it too, and we may not be seeing what they're saying because we're following the other side because we tend to be more progressive on this show. I guess to your point about the. I guess to your point about the um, what like then versus now, and it's a good point. I wonder if that's really a like a, a just a very interesting argument about being proactive as a celebrity or a, a public figure versus reactive. All a lot of these guys yeah. are answering questions from the media, and they are giving candid answers. But that is a far different. Um, stance to take than taking a proactive position and forcing your your views into the media cycle as a person of note. And that's what I wonder if if we're moving. I've seen a lot of stories about this is the end of the stick to sports era. People aren't saying they aren't assuming that LeBron can't talk about things. We're, we're all sort of saying, well, of course he has to have an opinion about this. And that's that's a change from the Michael Jordan era of you know, everyone buys my sneakers, so I should not have an opinion on anything. I do wonder if we're going to move to a position where people now on the on both sides of the political spectrum are going to feel like I need to make my voice heard because maybe it will sway things toward the conservative side or toward the progressive side. I don't know. I also know this. It's the first two weeks of a very polarizing presidency. So we're seeing mass political activism that um, we have no way of anticipating how long this may or may not um, keep up from an energy yeah. perspective uh, over the long haul. And I think we're, we're probably going to need to revisit this in a few months and just see where we are and, 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 and how much, you know, are people still always on when it comes to giving their opinions about what's happening politically? Well, but this is one area, like Brad. I think talking to you about these topics, and we talked the four of us. Adams, Adams at the Super Bowl, by the way. So that's where he is this week. Um, go, Li. 
anyway, enjoy Houston. Um, you're always ve- we all the four of us spoke on election night, and you always take a historian's perspective on this. And so there's one way where I do think that this era, look, I think the amount of protests you've seen in the last two weeks, while I understand there's an initial outpouring of energy and dissent, I you've also seen things like this foment into movements and the Vietnam War uh, protests, the civil rights movements, things like that. Those things went on for years and there were peaks and valleys, but they became larger movements. Yep. And I do think there's a chance that this happens. I was the, of all the things that have happened in the last two weeks, the ones that struck me the most uh, more than the women's March, more than all the airports was somebody tweeted at looking at the DC March that walked down to the, the Capitol last weekend. They were like, this came about in two hours and there's 10,000 people in the streets. Like to me, that's the greatest argument for the power of social media I've ever seen where it's just like instant protest. You know what I mean? Like, oh shit, things are bad. Let's protest in an hour and you have 10,000 people out there, you know? And so that is one area where I do think you could see sustained energy just because the tools are there. And in a way, they've never been there before. That really, really struck me. At the same time, with your historical bent on things, I view this as a moment where things will go in cycles. And right now, I think we're getting deep into, and I think it started, frankly, with the death of Muhammad Ali and a larger reevaluation of what athletes are doing with their voice when faced with his death. I think that's what you're seeing I think that helped push this as much as anything else into an era of don't stick to sports, have a point of view on either side. That's fine. As much as the presidential election. Yeah. They've been dipping the toe in this for a while without actually having to do much. So like, you remember the athletes that went on at the ESPYs, right? It was like Carmelo and, and Chris Paul and LeBron and Wade. Chris Paul and LeBron. We're going to stand up here and we're going to say, Maybe we shouldn't shoot each other. Thanks, everybody. And it's like, well, you didn't say much. I mean, I appreciate you being there, but like there really wasn't much advocacy actually happening. And I do think we've seen that. We've seen a testing of the waters for a while, other than some extreme cases where athletes are super outspoken for their political views. And so I I do think the, the political, look, some people are looking at, the state of the country and they're saying this is not the America that I believe in. And if the election had gone the other way, you'd have the other half of the country saying, uh, or a certain percentage of it saying it too. Like we we're living in a volatile political time. Absolutely. So I, I agree with you from a historian's perspective. Um, I do think there's the potential for this to, um, to continue to, to foment and build and athletes are going to have to figure out like, where do we want to stand in this? And, Media, because the sports media are the most outspoken and no one's stopping them. And I think it's great. I mean, Dan Limitard today was, you know, going back and forth and jumping in on Sage Steele's comments about the air, air you know, the airport uh, um, lines and stuff. And 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 that's the genie that I don't think is going to be put back in the bottle easily unless corporations just say enough is enough. We're going to ban you all from social media. But I, I just don't know how they're going to do that. It, it'll be interesting to see if 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 the reporters continue to bang the drum as loudly as they've done. That is a good point. 
Is this what you, um, real, Joe? Real quick, any final this, thoughts on this? Is this what you guys want from your athletes? Uh, um, if I can go first, I would say yes. I, I want them to be well-rounded human beings. I think it's one of the founding principles of this show is to get to know athletes better. Um, look, I always go back to when Romeo Cornell coached, I think it was the Browns. It was one of those, you know, volatile elections. And he told the guys they were not allowed to talk about politics in the locker room. I think Willie McGinnis might've been on the team near the end of his career. And Joe Thomas, uh, I think it might've been the 08 election. Joe Thomas was a Republican. Willie McGinnis was a Democrat. And he said they weren't allowed to talk about politics anymore in the locker room because it was getting too divisive. I thought that was a really interesting thing to hear. And it made, an honest to God, I have no problem with it. And it made sense to me within the confines of an NFL locker room. Like, guys, I don't care. We're trying to beat the Bengals next week. So save it for <laughs> after after practice. You can talk about this in the parking lot all you want. But I've always thought about that to me as one of those. I think that will stand out to me from the era that's just passed. And I think that now it's a whole new era where things are going in a different way. Now, Brad, to the historian's perspective, I don't think I think in our lifetime we're going to see some Republicans buy sneakers, too. You know what I mean? Like it's going to go back to stick to sports years from now. But I think we're in a moment where that's dead and it'll be interesting to see how long that lasts. I'm just curious to see what the Trump backers do because right now, and again, this might be my own bubble. Maybe I'm just, I'm over curating them out of my feed, but there's no better example than Tom Brady, right? I mean, Tom Brady, who by all accounts is friends with Donald Trump, who Trump was citing numerous times, him and Belichick on the campaign trail, like on the way to the, to election day. It seems to me like this is a good time for him to come forward and talk about, you know, hey, this is the vision of America that I wanted, or I'm, I support the president. Like, if the if the shoe was on the other foot and Hillary Clinton was was president, and all these protests were, you know, the other the the alt right and the Tea Party saying enough is enough with Obama's policies, you know, his supporters would be coming forward. I I do wonder if if the if the reservations around Trump the man will start to recede, and people are just going to be like, whatever. I voted for him. He's my president. I'm going to back him. And I, we have seen that from some athletes. I just candidly, I do want my athletes to speak up and I want all of them to speak up. Like I'm not going to give a hard time to a Trump supporter who puts his money where his mouth is and says, this is what I'm going for. Like, let's have that debate. Like I, I don't, I don't want to shame those people into silence either. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not trying to sound insensitive to progressive values here, but like, I also don't, no, 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 I'm not no, going to no, shame no. the opposition either. If that's your opposition, like, Speak out. No, I agree. I think the upside is just so outweighs. Um, now, this is speaking from someone. I mean, you say Tom Brady should speak out, and I think people's first reaction would be, "The week before the Super Bowl? Are you crazy?" <laughs> yeah, um, right. That's like, easy that's for not, me to say. That's <laughs> not the time to be divisive. But um, the point still stands. I think I think the upside is. I think the upside is huge, and I think it only would bring more. Um, perspective and um, and um, 
I don't know. I, I feel like people trust athletes. People like athletes. I feel like there's a lot of power and weight to like, um, as with as with any sort of public figure uh, coming out and speaking their mind. Um, I think it can only I think it can only benefit us. I don't know. Plus, yeah, I I I, I just can't imagine holding it against someone. Like, what am I going to lose out on if I disagree with my favorite athlete? It's like whatever. Well, that's one of the beauties of being an adult is that I don't have to like my athletes personally at this point. Like I want them to be more well-rounded. Um, but Brad, to your point, I don't need another echo chamber in my life. Um, so yeah, exactly. if athletes want, you know, so if athletes want to be like, I'll listen to your point of view as long as it's well-reasoned and or, all right, sure. Lay it on me, dude. Can I just say one thing? Like, and I might have mentioned this on the pod. I forget honestly at this point. But look, <laughs> the Brady Belichick thing. I have. I'm an admittedly a Patriots fan. I worked for the team. I am not trying to wish cast here, but I will say this: I've logged a hundred tapes of Donald Trump in that locker room, and I'm not saying. <sighs> I'm just saying that I don't know that all these relationships are political. I think that's rich guy stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's a good. I point. think they're all a bunch of rich guys, and they, they golf and probably make a lot of money together. And you know he can be as reprehensible as you want him to be, but then it becomes like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, president, cool. Look, I'm just you know, I'm like say this, and I hope this doesn't sound insensitive to listeners who feel like Donald Trump is is trampling on certain progressive values. If I had been friends, well, with he's him, trampling on American values. Yeah, if I had been, I, 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 I had think been friends that, with Donald Trump like three weeks or you know th- three years ago before he was running for president, he'd be like all I'd brag about in my phone. I'd be like, dude, Donald Trump, <laughs> like one of the most notoriously bizarre Americans, the host of the Celebrity Apprentice, the guy whose name is on the, you know buildings downtown and and who may or may not have ruined the USFL, like. He's a cultural curiosity. So if you had a prior relationship with him, I don't know that you have to like siphon all those valves all of a sudden until you really have time to kind of understand or pay attention to what he's trying to do. Now, that's not to say that I don't think people, this is so hard to talk about. I feel like no matter what we do, we're angering people. I'm not saying that like he hasn't done things where I'd be like, hey, man, like you're probably not my first phone call to like, have a beer together. <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah, I also yeah. I understand, like you said, like Tom Brady might have just been like, look, this was a guy who, you know, yeah, like you said, we were like rich guys together. We did we did random stuff. He he kissed my ass. He treated me like I was the best quarterback ever. Like, it, I don't think he has to apologize for knowing him. You know, like I just. Right, right, I'm, right. I'm over. Right. I'm honestly over the thing about it that I'm really over. I want our athletes and our, our celebrities and everyone, I think, be as into everything as you can. Outrage politics are just so draining to me. And that's not to say you can't be fired up. If you're if you're a Muslim American in this country, you're probably fired up to the same way. If you are if you spent your whole life worshiping Ronald Reagan, you were fired up the day, of, you know, the Affordable Health Care Act passed. Like, it's okay to get fired up about American policy. But, like, every day when you turn on, you know, your your phone, and it's like, hey, look, a Nazi got punched. And then, like, I'm scrolling up, and someone's, like, freaking out because someone said something they didn't like. It's like, I want people to speak out so that maybe we can get back into the habit of listening 
and not so much just like waiting for my turn to talk. Well, or, or, but no, that brings us back to the original to thing. Yell. Does that make sense? Like talk fine. Just scream, yeah. scream at everyone um, on social media all the time about every little thing. I just, I don't like, I don't know where to, I don't know how that's sustainable. And, and ultimately that's what I'm worried about is going to make everyone be like, it's too much for me. I want to tune it out. And when we tune out politics, we wake up and we're like, oh my God, the celebrity apprentice guy just won the presidency and, and I'm Greg Popovich. Maybe I shouldn't have been like joking around about the election the day of. Okay, but that's where I'm going to give, to get back to our original point, Kyle Lowry a little bit of credit here. You know, Greg Popovich has spoken very openly about the moral bankruptcy of this presidency and what that's done to us as Americans. Kyle Lowry was speaking about policy today. He didn't do it necessarily eloquently, but I think he said exactly what he wanted to say. And so that, to me, was interesting. He spoke about policy. Hot take, whatever you want to call it. But let's get into this executive order. That's interesting. No, no. I'm all for the policy discussion. I think by the politics of outrage, I say like somebody like Tom, like, do we need to be outraged that Tom Brady's not talking about Trump? Like, I wish he would come forward. I think I don't care. Celebrate. If we celebrate LeBron for having an opinion, I think it's okay to celebrate, you know, AJ McCarron and. Uh, you know, Tom Brady for supporting Donald Trump. I think that's fine. I disagree with their views, but I think that's fine. I'm not going to be outraged that he's not doing this or that. And I just feel like that goes back to like the deeper levels of cyber harassment, cyber bullying, all that sort of stuff. Like the more outraged people are, the more people retreat to their bubbles. And that's where I feel like the product, the productive nature of people speaking out just reinforces our trenches and we get no closer to consensus government, which is where I'd like us to go to a certain degree. You know, I mean, yeah, this is hard to talk about. I, I, I just want to say this, like this is really hard to talk about on no sleep for, for eight weeks having had a baby. So like, <laughs> if I'm saying things that people are like, you sound like an asshole. Like, I'm really sorry. Like I have a kid screaming at me. So when I get on Twitter, like if someone's typing in all caps, I'm like, okay, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, 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 uh, I'm going to turn this off today. <laughs> um, either way, it's a good talk. I mean, there's probably going to be a lot of political talk in the next few years, especially for a show that prides itself on off field athlete behavior. So, you know, good to, good to get into it. Um, all right. On the other side of the coin and very far from Houston, we have <laughs> where the Super Bowl is taking place and where Adam Willard is now is a curling rink on ice, probably in somewhere North, maybe in Ohio. And that is where our next guest hangs out. Uh, this is an interview we did with Matt Sussman, a baseball prospectus writer who is one of the top few hundred curlers in America. Hope you enjoy. Take a listen. Our next guest is baseball prospectus contributor Matt Sussman, who's, along with a few other people whose tweets this fall really reinvigorated my love and humor around the game of baseball. We're not here to talk about any of that tonight, though. What we are going to talk about is the other thing that Matt tweets frequently about, and that is the sport of 
curling. Matt, thank you for joining us. Well, hey, thanks, and uh, I'm ready to discuss this at length. Okay, so how did you? How did this start for you? How did how did you get into curling? Uh, that was in college, which was about 15 years ago. Where'd you go um, to school? Uh, Bowling Green State University in the flattest uh, place in the world. Yes, it it there's there's no elevation. Um, yeah. Uh, but they they have a, a curling rink on on campus, and I learned about it through a friend. And I actually blew off an evening class to learn how to pick it, uh, learn how to play. And uh, I've been playing it for on and off for about 15 years. That is fantastic. So I, you're still in Ohio, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. I grew up in Oxford, Ohio, down in the southwest corner of the state, uh, where Broomball okay. was the uh, shoe-related ice game of choice at Miami University. Well, I played a couple of Miami teams in college, so there, I don't know if there's any um, souls down there that have still pick up the game, but uh, at least at one time, they had a curling club. Excellent. And so you've continued this on since then. I, I mean... There's a part of me that has some questions about your own personal curling. We can get to that later. Let's dive into the sport because you really got into the European Championships of late, correct? Uh, well, yeah, I, I did some writing on it, and it's it's always a it's it's one of my favorite international events. Um, there, there's always so many different storylines, and um, you, you have about thirty different teams all trying to do different things, reach different goals. So, um, I yeah, I. I didn't get to watch as much as I would have liked, but I, I'm always looking at the results and the line scores. How is that broadcast in the States? Who owns those broadcast rights? Um, YouTube Live has a very good live stream. It's a, a organization. It's the World Curling Federation. Uh, it's called World Curling TV. It's a very good um, professional broadcast. Um, I don't think that anyone in the States has rights to it. If it's anyone, it'd be NBC Universal, um, and they do broadcast some of the world championships. I don't think they care about European championships, so those are pretty much free and live on YouTube. All right, I sense a business opportunity to scoop <laughs> that up. Exactly. Um, so, what? Whose play really stood out to you during the Euros? I think the biggest surprise, if we go to the women's side, was was the team that won, which was Russia. And, you know, it doesn't really matter what sport you talk about. There's always a bunch of cloak and dagger stuff going on with Russia Sports Federation. Um, they had a team that won the European title last year, uh, led by uh, Anna Sidorova. And mm -hmm. she's probably ranked about top 10, maybe 12 or so. Um, and they, they kind of struggled this year. And uh, just they're one of those countries at a point the team that goes to the Europeans and they picked a, a relative unknown, um, a skip, uh, I want to say Victoria Moiseva. Okay. No, that, hold on. But... So similarly to baseball, just to get it, I've read a lot about curling terminology in, uh, preparation for this interview, <laughs> a skip similar to baseball is a, is basically the equivalent of a skipper or that lead strategist. No. Yeah. Um, they're, they're calling the game. It, it's, it's kind of like a catcher. Okay. Uh, slash cleanup hitter, uh, slash starting pitcher. I mean, you, the skip is the most important person on the team. 
Got it. Um, there, it, you know, without them, you're you're really nowhere. But you know, the, the the team is usually the name is defined by the skip's name. So, okay. um, just to just to you know step back there. Oh, we'll do lots of digressions. Uh, That's I mean, we should we know, should. Yeah. Um, so he had a relative unknown. I didn't know much about this girl either. I mean, you can look up the data. She played in a couple events in Europe and had about a record of 500. Didn't really beat anyone that impressive. And, you know, I kind of handicapped her at the bottom of the, the, the grid of 10 mm-hmm. and she ended up winning the whole thing. I mean, they went six and three in round robin, which was very surprising. They upset Scotland, mm-hmm. um, Scotland led by Eve Muirhead, which has been, uh, they've been a great team for the last five or six years. Yep. And then they beat uh, Sweden with another, um, impressive team led by, uh, Anna Hasselborg, which is been i think the number one team all year so that was the team that just shocked me and you got to wonder what's going to happen to to the sidorova team i mean they're still good but mm-hmm. you know it, it, at least it shows that the country's got some depth rather than just riding one team but um that was yeah that was that was a very impressive result by uh, by the russia women i i love hearing the way you talk about it so if you to any of our listeners if you start down the internet rabbit hole on curling and you can go pretty deep. Matt would be a better guide for how deep you can go. There is a lot of terminology. I mean, there is around any sport, but it seems like there is a lot more terminology specific to it. And I think one thing I want to ask then to that point is it's interesting to hear you talk about something that we generally see as a team sport curling by these individual players' names or even like singular pronouns. Um, does the skip really are they the person that sort of defines that team as you said like how does that relationship work is there a tension there with teammates um yeah explain that to me yeah i i, I it's uh you know maybe it might be the, just the most convenient way to name a team obviously every you know, mm. curling is a team of four so everyone's important right um it, it just might be the easiest way so you know um you know, you say, you know, team Muirhead, you just, you know, that that's the skip, but everyone else is, is important. If you, mm-hmm. if you remove the skip, I, I've, I've noticed that, you know, everyone on the team is capable of playing any position. Um, everyone at that level should be able to do that. But obviously some people enjoy the, uh, the clutch shots and the strategy and some of the others are, are, are better at sweeping and judging weights. Uh, so everyone still plays to their strengths, but there's a lot of skips that uh, started out as lead, which is the opening position where you throw mm. the first two stones, and then they step right in and become a skip, and then they're they're terrific. So um, I don't know if there's a lot of uh, you know some people like to you know stay in the background and not be the name. Uh, mm. We just kind of that's how that's how the team is. You, you know you know the skips basically. Yeah, yeah. so it's not like volleyball where everyone plays all the positions and you rotate around or anything like that you have specialties right right okay what's your specialty um i'm a skip um at least on the 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 event i played in i was a skip Uh, i was open to playing pretty much anywhere sometimes when i play in uh different spiels i'll vice which is the spot below that Okay, um, let's it, do this as we go along. So, vice, what is vice? Is that like vice president? Vice, vice uh, skip. Okay, um, yeah, the full name is vice skip. Some in Canada, sometimes it's called the third. Um, and then there's the second, 
and the lead. So those are the four positions going from, I guess, throwing last to throwing first. And the spiel is that that's the actual event, right? Man, I can't believe how many of these just terms I'm just throwing around. But no, no, this, but that's yeah. the beauty of it. Uh, you know, like the fact is. that you can do this effortlessly uh, suggests that it isn't like, you know, uh, uh, I figured th- there's a large part of my life that relates to the Simpsons moment uh, in the episode where I'm assuming you're a Simpsons guy, just, yes. you know, shared frame of reference. Uh, but when Otto comes to live with them and Bart had gotten the electric guitar, and Homer's like, I found your electric guitar stuffed in the closet, along with your karate outfit and your, you know, things like that. And Bart was like, yeah, Dad, I started to practice and found I wasn't good. The lesson is, if you're not good at something, never try. And uh, <laughs> so th- uh, I feel like interviewing you on this isn't like interviewing me on one of my many Bart's electric guitar style hobbies <laughs> that I've taken up over the years. You can say whatever language you want. So. I'll try to talk in you know, plain English as possible. But yes, a spiel is short for bond spiel, which is basically a tournament. Okay. So. How long is I, a tournament? Is This isn't like a um, a cricket level, like long weekend thing or anything like that, correct? No, unless you're at playing at the Olympic level. Um, the European Championships was a good example. That lasted pretty much an entire week. That was a Saturday to a Saturday. Uh, the traditional ones are usually uh friday through sunday so you know three days sometimes four it depends on how big it is but uh yeah you're not having to burn too many personal days <laughs> so you're a skip um you know as a player manager you i would say it's a beautiful as a guy who grew up near cincinnati it's a pete rose style player manager role but that's a little bit of a tainted reference as we <laughs> belabor the baseball stuff um I, I, sincerely i'm not trying to sound goofy like when you go into a tournament how do you determine strategy are you scouting teams ahead do you scout your team and ba- come up with a plan based off that how does your strategy change throughout the tournament in the round robins or things like that to get on to the next round like how do you approach a tournament as the leader and head decision maker uh you just start by um knowing what your team can do. Um, you know, full reference, I talk like I'm a professional curler. I've played one competitive event. I will edit that out. Don't so, worry. So, but it's enough. It's right, enough. And, right. uh, but, um, you know, I, I look at my team, I talk to them, I say, okay, wh- what are we going to do here? What are you comfortable with? And, you know, really we, you could, you could, if you could w- meet three other curlers that know what they're doing, and in 10 minutes, you can figure out what you're going to do. Okay. So, I mean, like you said, it's like, I know the language of the sport. So does everyone else. So let's just figure it out. It's, uh, it's a lot easier to just get strangers to play curling over, you know, a football um, or basketball where there's more set plays and you know your, um, you know your quirks. Um, so you don't focus too much on the other people, mostly because you probably don't know anything about them. Right. Um, I saw the names and I looked them up and I saw, oh, they've got, uh, they've got order of merit points. So they're probably good. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's about it. So what's your strategy? How do you like to approach a, uh, what was it? I think I saw a, is a, uh, a spiel. How do you approach a spiel? Um, 
mostly excitement and uh, the combination of being excited and terrified. Okay. Uh, just because with this first one, the other the other thing was I knew that if I got blown out, it was out there and everyone was going to be able to see that because I was excited to share <laughs> right, the scores. And I thought right, right. if I go in there and I lose twelve to one, oh my god! I I'm not. I don't want to show my face on the internet again. Right. Right. Um, so hey, analytics, dude. <laughs> so. Exactly. Like, oh, what's this guy talking about? Yeah. He's been, you know, flapping his gums about you know, what, knowing what he's doing, and all of a sudden he can't. Um, so, I mean, it's you, you just uh, you go in, you, you you try to calm down, and you just do what you. This is the uh, this is the athlete speak about. Uh, you just do what you do in practice. But, I love uh, how you just, quickly you devolve into Belichickian platitudes and, and play better, coach better. There's a yeah. there's a reason you do that. There's a reason that it's true. I mean, it's just you don't do anything else different. You just mm-hmm. you just start playing, and you realize the stakes are a little bit higher because there's actually um, money to money at stake and mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, world ranking points. So is that what you're working to? Look, this is a sport where. I mean, do you have Olympic dreams on this? Uh, not really. <laughs> I got to do way more than what I've done, which is one event. I, you know, people that want to do the Olympics and look, if, if you want to go to the Olympics, this is probably your best ticket there. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have to put in a ton of work and get sponsors and learn to practice. And it's going to take you about 10 years before uh, you can start to uh, really think about the Olympics. But you know, it's it's something that I myself, as someone that was really bad at baseball, really mm-hmm. bad at basketball, really bad at basically any sport I played. Right. I, I stepped into this. I figured it out. I was competent. And then and then I started figuring out. I think it's one of those sports that anyone can pick up and be really good at and also play in competitive events because it's it's at such a grassroots level right now, especially in our region, in the Great Lakes region. Mm-hmm. There's really no good curlers from Ohio or Michigan that you're ever going to see um, at world championships or national championships or Olympics. So uh, there's there's room for people at the top. So I think that's the allure. Yeah, I, I, go get it, man. I love that. Um, so for those of us who would be interested and starting to get more into curling and we we could start following the YouTube channel for curling events or NBC Universal. Uh, uh this is your part of the reason I wanted to reach out to you is that uh in my late 20s early 30s a friend of mine had his first child and then shortly thereafter joined a curling club and everyone was like this is sort of an interesting, you know, early midlife crisis to be going through but he loved it <laughs> and was just, you know, such a proselytizer for the sport. Like he loved the sport and wanted everyone to join and immediately started speaking the language about the curling club and the rink he was on, which is a team, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a new way of using rink for me. That's how I remembered that one and the stones and things like that. So what is it about this sport that just attracts, like the people... Start doing it and just fall in love. I think that's it. I think the sport is so different that with the jargon and mm-hmm. the venue, I mean, you can't curl, you know, you can't curl somewhere and then play hockey on it, you know, 15 minutes later. I mean, right. it's it's a different world. It's almost a counterculture if you think about it. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there are companies that are dedicated to manufacturing curling equipments. I mean, you're either a curling person or you're not. You just don't have that many people that are, uh, you know, oh, I go, I curl like once a year. You just don't have that. You you have to <laughs> right, have right, more right. of a dedication than you would like bowling, for example, where you can mm-hmm. have those casual people. There's just the, the, the community is so dedicated. Everyone's so dedicated. I think that's what makes it special. All right. And it has the jargon. So what are some of your favorite curling terms? Oh, wow. Um, I think hog line has always been a funny word. Um, uh, the hog, the hog line. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm going to have to get an FCC approval on that one. <laughs> hog line? Hog line, man. Yeah. All right. So what's the hog line? Uh, hog line is the line um, that you have to when you... When you're delivering the stone, there's actually two hog lines. One, it, it, you have to let it go by that line. Otherwise, okay. that's like a foul in bowling. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get to the other side, and there's another hog line, and it has to completely cross that line to remain in play. So they're kind of the, the like the boundary lines. Got it. Okay. And then another, are there any other terms that jump out to you or words? Um... I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, you've got the hack, you've got oh the God, different hacks. types of shots. You've you're got a writer the playing a sport that involves hacking with hacks. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. With with a, with a few journalists as we have, we have several hacks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the hack is the starting block. Okay. Uh, when you push off, um, you've got the different types of shots. You've got the draw, the peel, the takeout, the freeze. Um, you know, the double, uh, the tick. I mean, there's lots of difference. What's the tick? Um, the tick, it's kind of an advanced shot. I don't really call it. I actually tried calling it at the competitive event, and we just whiffed terribly. But um, the tick is a shot where um, you try to knock a stone. You just try to hit like hit it like an inch of it, just so it moves out of play, but not completely out of play. Because um, at the beginning of the game, you can't knock opponents' um, stones. They're called guard stones. Um, out of play until you get to the um, the fourth the fourth stone. So it's kind of a way to open up the the uh, open up the sheet, open up the the sheet as the lane. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I gotta explain everything here. No, it's great. <laughs> just, just keep it rolling, baby. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure there's some other words I can't think of right now, but um, you know, there. The, yeah, everything. You know, you talk about burning a stone. I mean, you, you know, what's burning a stone? And, and uh, that's if you touch it with your broom, it's out of play. You, it's mm. a foul. You, you, you lose it. So, um, there, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, things you learn about the game and, um, and some people even come up with their own types of jargon, which, you know, then you realize, see, then you just got to roll with it. Like, Oh, you know, I can't even think of an example, but you know, yeah, that hack burned a stone. Yeah, I know. I've never seen a stone totally flushed it. Flush, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're just like, what so, are you, what are you saying yeah. about that? So, okay, so to wrap this up, because my knowledge of curling is going to run out long before yours does, if it hasn't already, I want to ask you just where do you want to see this? Because I, I will say this: when it first debuted in the Winter Olympics, I mean, I was a kid, I remember that, and it was kind of like the jokey sport that everybody played with brooms. And now, by the time the Winter Olympics roll around, I, I don't. I don't think that attitude exists around curling. I think people are honestly compelled by the sport. So I don't want to talk about this in joking terms, but where do you want to see the sport go 
on a spectator slash international level? And what are your goals for your curling career in the next year? Um, well, in terms of the sport itself, I think it's, it's still trying to carve out that, um, that audience of people beyond the every four years, the Olympics is is amazing. And they're, they're going to get that. Mm. I want to see at least some type of, uh, exposure, uh, on some channel. NBC sports is showing the, uh, the curling night in America, uh, next, uh, like January, February, March. It's an event that's going to be played. Um, I think this week Are they actually that they're just going to take delay. It's called curling night in America. Yes. Oh it is. God. Like, um, when art imitates satire, 30 rock did tennis night in America. Yes. Oh my God. They, this is they, they, they really, they, Friday night is curling night in America on, um, like NBC sports, uh, right. starting, starting in January. Okay, so, we're live tweeting this. This is definitely going down. <laughs> My God, yeah, I can't wait. I, I, so. I love it. Um, now, it's tape delayed, which means, eh. you know, it's tough. I think really the best argument you can make for showing more of this is everyone watches golf. It's always on. They show it live. And there's, you know, a couple events everywhere. And that's pretty much the same format. You, there, you've got games on the weekends. You've got yep. games all the time. You shouldn't have to care who's playing or what's at stake. It's just on TV. You could sort of see that, you know, and it, it's the, it exists in a way that's just basically on the internet with some really medium quality web streams. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can bump up the quality of that at all, then, you know, you might have something. It, it may just always stay on the internet and that's okay because the people that care are, are going to find it. Yep. But um, I mean, it, it, it's a problem that's faced by just about every Olympic size, but ultimately, and I don't mean this to sound insulting, niche sport. Like, what does right. judo do in between the Olympics? And- yeah, and I and I don't expect millions of people to be curling fans, especially because it's it's not the most accessible sport. Right. Um, right. So I, I think it's it's kind of on its way. There's a few other things it could probably do. I won't get into them here, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the fact that it is on TV off the Olympic cycle is, is terrific. Um, as for my own curling aspirations, I don't really know what they are yet. Um, I honestly saw the, uh, the, the, um, event I went to in Kalamazoo, uh, back in, I want to say it was either September or October. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was October. Uh, on a Facebook ad. <laughs> so, um, but I, but I, you know, I knew that it, Kalamazoo had a, had a club. I didn't realize they had a, a cash spiel, which is what they call a competitive event where you can win money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, started going through my contacts and said, you want to play? We're trying to put a team together and mm-hmm. landed on a few guys, a guy in Detroit, a guy in Columbus, and another guy with me in Bowling Green and went out there, gave him hell. And uh, oh, we yeah. did good. We we made the quarterfinals in a, in a uh, field of 12, so um, which gave us some money and some points. So um, we're going to host an event in Bowling Green in April. I'll almost certainly have to play in that. Don't mind doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, next year, we'll probably take a look and see if there's any other events in the area and see what we can do. Maybe just play in a few of them. And just sort of see how good we can do. I, I think if I ever had a bucket list thing, it might be to play in an American national championship or a club national championship, which is 
sort of a lower event undercard where everyone has to be a member of the same club. Um, that's probably as far as I'd go. My, my two-year-old, however, he better make the Olympics. <laughs> this just goes to show that stage parenting and sports parenting knows no actual sport boundaries. It can be <laughs> for any sport, football, basketball, baseball, figure skating, or curling. I, I think you're being far too modest, Matt. I'm looking at, I understand it's not like Rome wasn't built in a day. But I, I got to think that 2022 is achievable here with six years of work you can put in between now and then. So, Look, if I really wanted to, if I, if I wanted to find three other guys and say, okay, we're going to do this, there probably could be. And the thing is, life's going too good for me right now. There's other things I want to do. And I, that's, that's Seeing your children. It, so. <laughs> you know, you know like I, I kind of, yeah, like the whole family thing is, yeah. is kind of fun right now. Um, so... You know, I just, I just, it's just nice to see my name right there. I'm actually looking at the standings right there. Our team is ranked number 348 in the world. So not bad, hey, not damn bad. It really, it really isn't. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us here on Just Not Sports. Um, we would love to live tweet some curling night in America with you and keep us posted on any upcoming events or spiels you have going on because we want to follow this yeah, absolutely uh, the the uh championships for uh u.s and canada which they also show that on the watch espn three whatever they call it now right um in february and march and the world championships too so another way of watching it and now yeah i'm when you get to championship mode, I am I am insufferable on Twitter. I oh, just want to talk about everything. Everyone, follow him. Uh, what at Matt Sussman? At real Donald Trump. No, wait a second. <laughs> All right, yeah, sus to man. Um, we'll send that out to everyone, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Matt Sussman, the skipper or the skip of the 348th ranked world curling team. Amazing. <laughs> All right. First of all, I destroyed his Twitter account there. It is sus2 hyphens for Matt Sussman. Um, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Curling is Matt Sussman's distractions. Distraction, which brings us to this segment of Just Not Sports, which is distractions, plural. Uh, Because in life, there is just work and the things that distract you from work. So... Brad, we start with you. You know your main distraction of the last two months has been child rearing. What's been distracting you besides young Violet? So, and and my timeline's all screwed up. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in a like a, a bad time travel movie because Joe and I taped in my office, and that's coming next week. So we kind of talked about a bunch of podcasts I've been consuming. <laughs> so apologies if I'm flipping flip flopping here. The I have been consuming a ton of podcasts because when you're up rocking a baby in the middle of the night and it takes an hour to get back to sleep, like you can sit there in silence and hate your life. Or you, as you try to comfort a baby who is incapable of loving you back and won't go to sleep on command, or you can listen to podcasts and sort of just try to, you know, take your mind off of um, the fact that you never sleep. So for the first time ever, guys, for the first time ever, I have downloaded an audiobook. 
I have never Ooh. in my life, Ooh. I've never in my life listened to an audiobook at any level, not on CD, not on cassette, <laughs> not anywhere. And Simon Shama is one of my favorite historians. He's a British historian. He's written about you know the history of Great Britain. He had a great series on the BBC, which was so stylish. It was one of the first pieces of contemporary TV history that I thought was like super stylish and just so contemporary and so engrossing. I followed him since then. Gareth, he does a great series called mm-hmm. Power of Art, which is all about some of the most mm. exciting art pieces and their cultural impact. I'll send you links to that. That's on YouTube, by the way, if you search it out. His Caravaggio episode is awesome. Okay, so this book is called... It's his new book. It's called... Uh, and it's actually a funny story. It's his new book. It's called The Face of Britain, I think. Uh, and it's all mm-hmm. about the sort of impact of certain portraits of British his, uh, British you know popular figures cultural figures citizens and the impact they had on the society so you know a portrait of Winston Churchill for example that that he deemed too modern in terms of its style and therefore the Tory establishment ridiculed it and the artist was like forever shamed and it really showed how like the culture at large was shifting in the 1950s so I'm listening to this at like two in the morning. This is on the night where my, my daughter did not sleep from two in the morning until seven in the morning. So I'm like, great. I got this audio book. This night's turning into a disaster. I'll just get ahead. So the first one's Churchill. I'm like, oh, I can picture mm. that painting. That's great. Second one is this painting about Oliver Cromwell. I'm like, I read a huge book on Cromwell. That was on the cover. That was great. The third one came and I was like really regretting that I got an audio book about works of art. Because now <laughs> this motherfucker is talking about artists who I don't know and paintings that I've never seen. <laughs> and I am just sitting there right, holding right. a baby who is only gurgling and pooping and screaming at me for five hours all night with an audiobook I paid $20 for and I couldn't follow a single fucking word. I was so enraged. I was so mad. At one point, I put the baby down and I walked downstairs while she was crying. And I just checked my phone to figure out what I was listening to. And I walked back upstairs two minutes later and got her. I was just like, I can't do this. So like Simon Shama, split decision on audiobooks. Audiobooks about visual subjects, probably not the best thing to do. Good one. Good. That is a good distraction. I like that you're getting into audiobooks though cuz I've been staring down that barrel for a while. So, yeah. I uh it's really hard to squeeze in between all the podcasts I listen to. I, I really just <laughs> listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Brad is an amazing consumer of media. I really don't I really don't understand it. We've talked about this before. Although I, the 2-hour commute probably helps, but Damn, if you don't just, you're just a, you're a black hole. What can I say? All right, that's <laughs> enough for me. Joe Reed, what's your distraction? Um, So mine has been, um, I have been watching uh, White House press briefings. I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Um, They're really kind of boring on the face of it. They're like hour long YouTube videos that they release every day. And it's just like the mm-hmm. White House press secretary talking to the media. And usually the first like 10 or 15 minutes uh, is all sort of scripted. And they, you know, kind of update people on the president's schedule. I started watching these about three weeks before Obama left office. 
And it has been an amazing shift. Really wanted to get familiar with Jay Carney before he left our lives? No, Jay Carney, Jay Carney was out in, I've been reading all about this. He left in 2014, I think. It was Josh oh, Ernest. Oh, sorry. Josh Ernest would okay. be, if I had a hammer, he would be a hammer for this week. He's an awesome guy. It's just been interesting seeing Let's the get shift. him on the pod, bro. Let's get him on the pod. He's a huge Kansas City Royals fan. Anyways, um... It's just interesting to see the shift in in personality and what putting a different person and face and voice uh, and temperament in that in on behind that podium can do. Um, so I would just suggest, um, without judgment or 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 you know sort of any preconceived notions, go and just like watch maybe thirty minutes of one of these things, um, and the new press secretary Sean Spicer, and just observe. Um, how he interacts with media and how he engages with their questions and um, and moves about the room uh, between people. It's just fascinating to see um, how he behaves and how uh, so much of the, the feeling he gives off is not in his words, uh, but in sort of how he speaks. And I think it's just been so interesting. All the, There's been a lot of coverage about coming out and talking about crowd sizes and talking about bands and talking about all this stuff. And now this guy's got like the toughest job in the world to have to like be the face of these messages. Oftentimes Um, it's an amazing position to be in, to be, you are speaking from the perspective of the white house of the executive branch, not only to the American people, but for the American people and to the world. Um, It just gives a really interesting perspective of like, what is going on? And um, mm. I found them very fascinating, especially seeing the last like few weeks of Obama's and the first now two weeks of of Trump's. I've probably watched every other one. Um, I would just recommend people check it out. Like just watch, just watch it and 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 glean from it what you will. Um, um, not necessarily what they're saying, but but even how it's being said. I find it fascinating. So I've been distracted by that. Awesome. That's all I got. Um. That leads perfectly into my distraction, which for the last two weeks, bros, it's been the resistance, my men. <laughs> it has been making signs with my wife and daughter and buying cardstock and going to protests and making plans on how that happens. And I hate to be a um, stereotypical Brooklyn lefty, but man, we've... Uh, it's been interesting to talk about, and it's also been interesting to kind of have conversations with my wife on, look, these protests aren't going to be nice forever. Um, uh, people are going to start getting arrested. It's going to start getting violent and aggressive. And it'll be interesting to see, going back to our earlier conversation, how much momentum it can maintain in the face of that. Um, Right now we're definitely in the new brunch era of the resistance and protests, but it could get really dicey. So Brad is uh, a distraction though. Brad is living in the past, uh, looking back and, and studying history. I'm living in the present. I'm finding out what's happening every single day. And Gareth is like, what's happening down the road, man? What does the future hold for us? I love it. We got all bases covered. And Adam, 
living he's up to a, our name is trying to find out what's going on at the Super Bowl. <laughs> I was going to say he's in an alternate dimension at the Super Bowl. I will say this to everybody getting active in, in politics. And, and I think the, the in the first hundred days, there are going to be such sweeping changes to major policies that, of course, we're going to have mass protests against them and that kind of thing. I used to cover municipal government in small towns in Illinois and Ohio. And I can tell you this, people didn't bring a lot of creative signs to their local village board meeting where like 90% of daily life is decided. And I would say that's not to disparage the protests at all. I'm not saying that. But I would also encourage people, if you're interested in politics or interested in policy, channel that into uh, local, uh, you know, local activism local interest in, in the political uh, you know workings in your community because you'd be surprised how much actually happens there. And as one woman told me uh, at a village board meeting, uh, when I asked her why does she come to why is she the only person in the audience every single week? She said, well, because one week they built a sidewalk on my house uh, on my yard that I didn't want. And I realized I had missed four zoning hearings about it because I never I never checked the website with like any information about the agendas. So I just think be weird, be also be leery of the things that are happening under your nose. And you might be surprised what three people at a, a zoning board meeting um, can accomplish, um, sometimes even more than uh, the mass protests you're seeing on Facebook. Not to, that's not, again, I hate talking about this stuff. That's not to disparage what we're currently doing. It's just more like what the guys on like Favreau and, and, and those guys say on, on Pod Save America, like channel the activism into uh, participation too, on top of what you're doing. Booyah. Well, that that is what I've been I, I've been interested in with this is that it's led to more. Let's call the senator. Let's call the congressman. Like there does seem to be more, at least initially, of a grassroots push on all of this. Yeah, and hey, look, I mean, there's, look, there's, there's I let's serve on a committee. Let's uh, let's let's you know if yeah. I'm if I'm in communications, like I wonder if if the you know Palatine Illinois Village Board needs uh you know, need some help with like civic involvement that's not even based out of protest. I, I think that's what a lot of the people that I, I follow in politics, especially progressive politics, have said is just if you're if you're active right now, you might be surprised how many people actually would love you to get more involved at some other level of government and who might have an open seat for you if you just go if you show up, you know? Well, I, I honestly think what this what's interesting is speaking about this from a lefty progressive side is that it's starting to resemble more of something like the Tea Party or the activism and grassroots organization that you saw from the right for a lot of years. And yeah. it bro, it was right in front of your nose, dudes. <laughs> Ladies, everyone. So <laughs> Yeah, the, the um, difference is I got so worked up the, there I hit here's my Here's the mic. one difference about that. Uh the tea, it was flip flopped. Like the Tea Party didn't necessarily have the biggest protest, but they got a lot of people running in primaries. You know, like that, like yep. shifted the ideological yep. thinking of an entire party toward them over you know eight years. And so I, I do think that yep. that activism and participation can have benefits. They just it, it it's hard to see the forest through the trees because being in a zoning hearing is not going to impact worldwide immigration policies i totally get that um but ultimately it may be yeah. it may be a drop in a bucket that that leads to a, a greater purpose too you just have to sort of steady yourself for the slow the slow boil that is sitting at a village bo- board zoning hearing and actually raising your hand with a question to just other volunteers that are trying their best yeah. to do it on no sleep <laughs> 
Wait, no, no. Yeah. Sitting at a village zone boarding hearing and your vote on your sidewalk is the seventh agenda item. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll keep you posted on how we stick it out in the resistance. Um, boys, shout outs this week. Yeah, I'll go shout out to my uh, my new kid, Violet, my old kid. Uh, Charlie, who is uh, an amazing sister, my my beautiful and uh, tireless uh, wife, Kelly. Also, shout out to um, anyone out there who just is looking for escapism. We were kind of talking about this off air. If you got topics you want us to talk about that have nothing to do with like, you know, the world on fire, uh, you know, hit us up. Like, we'll, we'll have that. Like, I'm happy to talk Space Jam, too, if that's what you guys want. So if you got something fun that you've seen, uh, uh, you know, don't hesitate to send it to us. That's kind of why we exist. Yeah. Joe Reed ain't shout outs. 100% agreed with Brad on, on reaching out. We are we are here for listeners. Um, one and only shout out, totally out of context. I'll tell the story later. Shout out to Tony the Tiger. That's all I got. All right, let's leave that there. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Matt Sussman. Shout out to anyone who's into curling. Uh, shout out to Kyle Lowry for providing some fodder. Uh, shout out to Adam being at Super Bowl LI and uh, representing Just on Sports Lovely as well as his real job. And uh, in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. I got. I got. I got nothing. I got nothing on Ron, my other cousin Ron. Those guys. I, I do. I've not never have done that. the stay booty part before. That was a. That was a change. That was interesting. <laughs> <laughs>